Hello and welcome to Royale Without Cheese, our bi-weekly podcast in which we discuss both the classic and the unknown of art and popular cinema from the then and now. We are your hosts, me, Tomás Ferreira, Leonardo Miranda. Here I am. Here you are. And Miguel Aido. Howdy. Howdy, howdy. <laughs> Today we talk about Blade Runner 2049, but before any of those, don't forget to subscribe, leave a comment, or simply give us a like. Blade Runner 2049 is a 2017 American neo-noir science fiction film directed by Denis Villeneuve and written by Hampton Fancher and Michael Green. A sequel to the 1982 film Blade Runner, the film stars Harrison Ford and Ryan Gosling, the latter playing Kay, a replicant Blade Runner who uncovers the secret capable to destabilize the course of civilization as he knows it. Ideas for a Blade Runner sequel were first proposed in the 1990s, and this final sequel released in 2017 was received with great critical acclaim. However, was Royale Without Cheese as impressed with his new android dream? Fellas, what do we think? Are we ready for the future? Fellas. Michael? Mm. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm torn. What, what, what? What, what is that? Torn. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> are you thorn? I'll, I'll just say I'm torn and move on. A lot of good things, kind of kind of things I, I don't really care so, much about. We're talking about 2049. Yes, isn't yeah. this the film we're discussing? It is a Which film, film, but uh, you know, it is a review. <laughs> I'm going to constantly be kind of comparing it to Blade Runner, the first one. So my mind is mixed between the two. But 2049. Yes, solely on it. No, Blade Runner, the original, just very solid. Yeah. I think. Sure, it has its up, but I mean, because that's the really thing, there's always a sense of comparison. So, I really want to ask you what was the thing that didn't quite click for you? You know, uh, it's, hard it's, it's hard to define. I mean, it, it's just my general interest for the story <laughs> wasn't fully achieved, I think. Right? I saw the original Blade Runner, and there's this mystery about everything that really reels you in. And and it just doesn't happen here. I do think that the story is interesting. Um, the idea of them having children and who K is that that is all you know. Um, at least at the at the premise level, I think that's interesting. Um, but at the end, I just not fully engaged by the film, even though there are very good moments and visually, I think Villeneuve is like a really Scott disciple. I mean, he does really well these sorts of epic films um and he really likes like the human form i think and giant things yeah like, you see that in dune and, and floating here. objects they are yes. weird <laughs> even in, in the film enemy you have these giant spiders appearing yeah um so yeah i mean visually is just the perfect director for for this sort of film and uh, this sequel uh, but then something is missing and it, i even felt that kind of with dune where I really like the film, but at the same time, there's something preventing me from really getting to the characters and the emotion, emotionality of everything. Uh, and in here, kind of as well. I do really like the ending of this film, and I really do like um, the reveal about Kay. Um, but I, I don't think that's enough. And so I'm kind of torn because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. I wish I liked it more. But I also like a lot of things, so strange, mm -hmm. strange world. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm a bit what like that too. Think? Yeah, a bit torn because I, it's again 
similar to The Long Goodbye in the sense I like the mood of the film. There's like a there's a sadness to to the Ryan Gosling character that is very it's interesting to see him wrestle with these feelings, this potential of being like a, a prophet, being like a special thing, being a special um, android, whatever. I don't even know what they're called. Humanoid. Replicant. A replicant, yeah, exactly. Call him by their names. <laughs> by their names. <laughs> yeah, but being like being Nexus a special six. being a special replicant and then not being. But the reality is like he still felt these things. Like the even if it's based on a lie, he did feel it. He did feel emotions that are that he's supposed not to feel, even if the memory is not his own. So I do think those ideas are are interesting. And by the end, I love the ending too with him you know, his sad death, and I feel for him. I think that's a very, it's a strong part of the film. And I think Ryan Gosling, even though he doesn't have to do like incredible acting emotionally, I think his deadpanness works a lot for the character, at least for me. But then there's things with the plot that I just don't care that much about. And maybe because I'm not a huge fan of the of the original. I like it, but it's not a film that I think that much about. So the whole thing with Deckard and Rachel and the, the daughter and or the son and the whole conversation, it feels like times it, it's just asking questions to get answers and Ryan Gosling, I know he's a detective, so that's part of it, but I don't care that much. I'm more interested in the mood of the film, but at times it feels like the, the plot gets a little in the way of it and I'm not fully immersed in it. Yeah, and uh, the film sometimes kind of jumps slightly and you don't really know how you got there <laughs> like for example when when uh when Kay goes to visit uh, Deckard um and they get in that fight and they're both passed out one is in the ground the other is in the ship mm -hmm. I mean these are like Wallace's people and he uh, Deckard goes with love but then somehow Kay isn't uh, with these people and ends up with those sort of rebellious uh, yeah. group of people. Don't you don't really see how that happened or why you would be left there and then picked up by some other people. And, you know, I just wondered what, what, how, this, how did this happen? How did we jump from this to that? And, and, and there are moments uh, like this in the film where you don't really understand the jump. Um, and just feels like we needed to get to some place and we just went there by force. Yeah, there is there is a, a criticism to the resist to the resistance replicants that I have there uh, as well. And I completely agree with that aspect of, of the jump. It's a little bit strange. But for me, for example, I am as well divided, but not thorned. Like I think, to be fair with the movie, uh, this is a very good sequel that for being a blockbuster is as well a film full of filled with ideas. I mean, for the for it's it's a, he's very good. I, the, the thing is, it's not often that you have a blockbuster sequel that enhances the ideas of the previous film and actually tries to have a story that has deeper meaning. Every other scene has a new idea. This is the third time I'm watching this film, so I, yeah, I, I kind of picked up on things that I never I didn't even kind of saw in the first time around or second. Uh, I think the film is very interesting in the sense that it, it expands ideas that were already living and breathing in the first film. And now it creates not only it, it deepens them, but it creates its own its own question. For example, the, the what is so interesting about it as a sequel is that he's very able to uh, play to the action and the spectacle 
uh, of it, but as well try and find what's the, the new philosophical question and character question, emotional character question that we can ask in, in with this film. He's very respect, uh, has a lot of respect for that. For and he tries to do that that famous you know internet line how they say it respect the <laughs> respect the past embrace the future <laughs> embrace the future kind of a, a nerddom kind of a, a line in <laughs> communities when whenever there's a franchise come on man embrace the past respect the future <laughs> or something it's like that when you want to think of sequels but I think th this Nerd. film does exactly that now I mean it doesn't do exactly exactly that's where the problem comes in of atmosphere for example in the first film I think what's very interesting the overall kind of philosophical question for both films is can a robot be human and can humanity accept a robot, a robot as such? A robot. Now I came from robot. Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, <laughs> Boston. <laughs> uh, can a robot be accepted as a human? Uh, which is a very interesting thing because it's about could we, like a sentient species, live with another sentient species? Because we are the only species living on Earth with that sense of reason and capacity for creating these wondrous things. And that's it's interesting to think about the question in cinema because there's another franchise that does that, which is Planet of the Apes, which is a franchise I also like. Oh god! But kind of twists it around with yeah, we another. We got the Apes fan. We got the Apes, apes here. Uh, I'm particularly a fan of the later kind of modern films. I haven't watched the, the Charlton Heston uh, yeah, film mean, yet, I like so the new ones too. I, I, maybe I, I'm betraying the the true fans, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, but that's interesting because it pokes around the, the question of could we live with another sentient, sentient species, not from the perspective of we are the gods who created the new species, but the species was always there. Now the apes are the smarter ones. Maybe there's our resented feelings of exploration there. But um, yeah, in this one in particular, so there's that overall philosophical question that lives in both films. And, and Velenov likes to play particularly with the idea of what is real, what are real emotions. Uh, what makes a, 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 an emotional real, you know, its source being a human, being a robot, what legitimates that emotion? But in the first film, the, the question is really connected with our antagonist, Roy, which is a beautiful, complex character played by Rutger Hauer, in how he plays him with his sense of irony and unpredictability. You never know what he's going to do next. And it's more ambiguous how you feel about him as well, you know. You also, you kind of appreciate his charisma, you appreciate his problem, which is the main problem, the focal point in the film, which is why would God, us, the human species, give, create this other human or humanoid emotional consciousness capable of feeling of remembering a life past and yet a very short amount of time to live. It seems like a cruelty. It connects back to that question, why would God... God create life to then give it so many troubles, flaws, and then death. It seems like a cosmical joke. It connects back to that question. All the while, we have the question of uh, the main protagonist. Uh, is it okay to kill these robots if they are just like humans, if they were perfected to be just like us? And he has that, you know, vulnerability, that question since the very beginning. In Blade Runner 2049, they don't rehash the question. They make a new one, you know, they, they go deeper. They, they pick up from where we, we started and the question becomes, can two replicants have a baby you know, and what does that mean for the species and I think it it harkens back also to the question of Deckard is he a replicant or is he not wonderfully enough it doesn't really matter because I mean I am from the, the side that he is obviously a replicant by the end you know which Ridley says and Harrison says no no I think he's human which would be what a replicant would say anyway Harrison <laughs> so no nah, but it's uh, obviously he's a replicant I mean he's yeah, a replicant I think it's I mean, obvious obviously too. Obvious. Even in that scene with the eyes, I mean, it's becoming of course, of course, of course. Like, 
Uh, and the thing is, uh, even if we were to suppose that he isn't, it, it, it doesn't really destroy the premise of uh, of the film of the, of the second film because if he is a replicant, then two replicants had a baby, and that is one first that the species becomes independent. But if he is a human, a human and a replicant had a baby, so it's even more extraordinary. The barrier of difference is completely broken. So I think the movie is very interesting. That central question that it that it makes. And as for the question of the protagonist, the dramatic question, it even shifts there. Ford's protagonist, more charismatic, um, was the question of, should I kill these this replicants who actually feel very human to me? Uh, are they humans? Are they not humans? And here, Kay is, we know from the get-go, he is a replicant. Okay, Ford is a replicant, but we only know that at the beginning. There's a, a, quite a shift in knowing that our main protagonist in the beginning of the film is in fact a replicant, which I think is interesting. Because uh, then we're always posing the question, are my feelings legitimate or not? Can I be human or not? You know, you feel sad from him from the get-go. That is revealed because it's not going to be important for the actual plot. I mean, it, there's something else. And a, there's a bigger question uh, in this film. And that part isn't re relevant, I mean. It isn't the, the the main premise of the film whether or not he is a replicant or not. So it's a detail that you know the, that we can know immediately from the start. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't think that is he a replicant or not is not even a question in Ford's uh, scenario. It it becomes a question as you progress because it's uh, one yeah, of yeah. The, the questions in the film, but not the main one. Uh, and then in this one, I think. Um, the question becomes for the main protagonist, an interesting one, connecting to this main one, can two replicants have a baby and what that means for the species? And the question for the protagonist is, are my feelings legitimate? And furthermore, are my memories real? Can I be the Messiah? You know, am I Jesus? <laughs> Basically, that's what he's asking. Um, and it's very poignant that, you know, because we are introduced to this character with this idea, oh, he might be Jesus. Uh, and you immediately connect with the protagonist. It harkens back to that feeling that we all have as humans, which is, am I a special little snowflake? <laughs> which, which is interesting because it completely defeats uh, the, the existentialism of Sartre, which is like, you know, you gain meaning in your life and purpose because you build meaning, you know, you build your kind of sense of purpose in life. It's not attributed to you. But deep down, you know, we all want to be Harry Potter. We all want to be the Jesus, you know, we all want to be the chosen one. So the film does play with that sense that we all humans have because it's, of course, it's lazy. You know, you are born to life with this sense of purpose that, yes, my son, you are going to save us all. And that's wondrous. You can do stuff, you know, you, you, in the, the sense of attention. But the thing is, the film doesn't feed off that idea because, of course, for the sense of drama, someone else who had, who had it harder in life, we're going to find out who, he, who, who, who she is. Uh, is the actual messiah and so he isn't and so we go back to the existentialist question but Kay, you did brought meaning to your life because you you had that vulnerability in you of finding the replicants uh, to be as deserving of having real human emotions as humans he finds that within himself and the purpose of bringing the mission home and bringing Decker together with his daughter uh, I think gains meaning to his life even when he's there dying at the end in the snow which has a beautiful, the snow, the falling snow or the falling rain gains a beautiful kind of poetic meaning in this film, which started with joy, 
which is kind of his, the emotional hook we have with Gosling. Despite Gosling being someone who plays him as a very deadpan, replicant, cold demeanor, I think what hooks us to him as an audience is joy, is the fact that this robot, this robot, what is with me today was saying robot? <laughs> this robot, this replicant, Robert the robot. This replicant needs another, I, I'm becoming French, that's what's happening. This uh, replicant, <laughs> this robot, <laughs> I'm becoming Dennis. This robot needs another robot. Denis. This replicant needs another replicant to feel his emotions like tangible. And I think this poetry, what with what falls from the sky, making you feel human, this tangibility, this sensation, really starts with that joy scene that even a hologram, which is faker than the fake, faker than the replicant, even a hologram can be real, can feel human emotions. I find the character of joy amazing in this film. It has another mm -hmm. layer that I really want to talk about later. I won't, I won't go into deeper here. But just to say that that scene in the rain, with, with her touching the rain, really allows you to think like, if you already consider in your hearts of heart that the replicants in this film, even from the history that you have from the first film, are capable of feeling human emotions and we yearn for these replicants to be considered as much of humans as the real humans, because it's so unfair the way they are treated being called skin skinners i mean in the sub in the in the consciousness of the viewer and of the replicants of themselves they kind of have a prejudice against joy there's a scene of the process with joy where she says i've seen inside of you there's not much there and i thought oh that's such a beautiful thing because even the replicants have a, a prejudice against this sub life form but she shows herself to have some kind of emotion there this a poignancy and we as an audience, we take Joy for granted. She's a product. She's, you know, there's a beautiful scene where I'm already going into Joy, but essentially uh, there's a beautiful scene where we have this sex scene, this love scene between Ryan Gosling and Joy. And she enters in the body of this prostitute. This whole beautiful visual scene is conjured of the, the duplicating of their bodies of the prostitute with Joy. It's trying to sync with her. And then after that scene, that love scene, we cut to Joy in this huge giant hologram in the middle of the street. And it's our first kind of moment of realizing that she is a product available to the masses. And, and it's like, wow, so it's, he's always playing with his sense of what is real, where does real emotion come from? But we do, we do feel this contrast between Joy being a product, or a, a robot, something unreal, but at the same time, he very much shows to be sentient, to be sensitive, to want to be with Kay. And at, at least we want to believe that, but will we ever really believe it? And I think it's beautiful that first scene in the rain where touching the touching of the skin really becomes a metaphor for the becoming human, the emotion becoming legitimate. And that harkens back to the ending when he feels the snow and the music harkening back to the first film when uh, Roy is dying is the same when, you know, Kay is dying. I think it's amazing so yeah just start off the ball with that i think this movie is rich with ideas in every other scene which is not uh does not come around often if you see you know a marvel movie <laughs> or whatever is blockbuster even james bond they will not present this consistency of of scenes that keep unveiling itself with ideas the joy scene you know this film is full of scenes that bring to it personality that make it different from the first blade runner movie uh oh I mean, I'll talk about the, ne the, ne the negative things about this Blade Runner that it has to me that don't make or break it, but weaken the film for me a bit. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what do you think about all these things? Joy has a character, uh, the, the central question. So about what you said, plenty of stuff. I, For example, in the scene where she's um, in the rain, 
I do really enjoy that scene as well. And I do agree that it gives this sort of sense of she's becoming human. But a really interesting thing to counter that with is the fact that then she stopped and because he's receiving yeah. a call. And it kind of makes you sort of clash with this idea that at the end, this is all just a program anyway, that yeah. you're always questioning whether these things are becoming the human. and the, the human, yeah. Yes, you're always questioning uh, to what extent they're becoming human, but then... Always clashes with the fact that these things are programs, nonetheless, and uh, yeah, that's I think really the one of the key things about this film and, and the original as well. You know, to what extent are these things always just a program anyway, and it doesn't really mean anything. But then, I mean, at the same time, uh, you were talking about the fact, just plot, I guess, more plot related, about the fact that these uh, things, these replicants, can have children. But I mean, how, <laughs> how, how are these things? having children exactly because i think if it was if it was a little clearer exactly uh, the science behind it i think it would make for less of a mystery i mean because i mean if we just assume that the the females have wombs where does the difficulty come from in having children mean? i mean in the sense that it's not really explained the i disagree what completely. what what makes that person <laughs> What makes that person special in 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 having having had the ability to have uh, children? You know, I mean, you don't really understand what's uh, what they were trying to get from the ch from the child in order to do replicants that can uh, be mothers and, and fathers. You know, you don't really understand what's special about the child. You don't understand what's special about the meaning of them being able to breathe. No, no, no. It's not. It's not that. Uh, I understand the meaning, obviously, of okay. suddenly being able to to have children, but you don't understand physiologically. Science. But yes, okay. I, I don't think. I, me personally, I don't need to understand it. No, but that's kind of the main thing because uh, I mean, okay, because if you if you don't question that, you also shouldn't question anything about the story itself and the original because it's just making the humans. Thing is no, the thing so is... What's, what's different about this human that suddenly makes the difference for the, every other human that can potentially be, you know, created? I mean, it's no, no, just... I don't think the story needs necessarily to go... I think that space to imagine what it could mean is part of... Uh, to not leave an answer to that is interesting to me. To leave it mysterious is interesting to me. I can, I can do... I can respond to, to the fact of how was this possible of, 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 of her... Uh, the child of Rachel and Deckard even exists and there being a baby to the fact that, to the interesting fact, one of the, the things that Villeneuve responds in this film and adds in, the, in this film, goes deeper into the idea, is, is Wallace as a character. We can expect to him. What is so interesting is that he's a kind of Tyrell 2.0, but he's, presents to, he's presented to us with no eyes, blind. A bit like poetically, like uh, Tyrell ends, he ends up with no eyes. And here he's completely uh you know naked of that humanity the eye is a great icon and symbol of blade runner has a franchise and film uh kind of the inch to the soul the key to humanity the way they are identified anyway through this test that is the vaunt the vaunt cat and, and kind of its uh evolutions of the test and so here wallace i think doesn't is is colder he doesn't realize uh you know he he eliminates redundancy whenever he creates a, a, a um a replicant he doesn't really i don't think he experiments as much as tarrell did and i think one of the key things about tarrell as a character is that he allowed himself to 
feed off his you know his he dreams and indulge himself in experiments like the character said rachel was an experiment and he likes to have that openness i think rachel was the key you know new replicant that was kind of built underground that was kept under wraps and somehow this experiment happened with deckard and this baby was born every other uh, ap- uh, replicant from there on since there was that chaos with these replicants, uh, rebels that fled from Mars and came down to Earth in the first movie. They decided to do it differently. I think the replicants became, you know, you know, it's not Nexus Six now; it's Nexus Nine. You know, I think Wallace's replicants have lost something. I think the capability of breathing of of birth is very kind of uh, unique to what happened to Rachel and Deckard. Uh, so no, no, that explains that part of the situation, but I don't need to understand how do they give birth. What's what's the you know biology because of it? For me, for me, I just go there because to try and make a little more sense out of Wallace's plans. Because otherwise, it just seems like a generic villain, you know. I don't think as, as we. I mean, I mean, as we said, Rutger Hauer in the original is so iconic because no, oh yeah, you kind of you 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 understand exactly what he's going through, and Wallace just has sort of a. You know, a generic that is one plan. thing that I agree. Like, for, I think the villain, the first one, is amazing, full of complexity, and this one is more your plain villain. Yeah, he's out for with an agenda. But I understand yeah. his agenda. He wants to, to, to for his children to be to be able to breathe and to have slaves, basically. And the difference here uh, is that the resistance, the replicants, want to be able to breathe, to be free. They have different slants, different perspectives of what the meaning of this capability to give birth means. One is to be slaves, the other is to be free. It's just a slight difference of perception. Where I do have a problem with <clears throat> is more with the resistance in the sense that, because I have a similar question al- along those lines, for example, what I don't understand is uh, the resistance when they catch K and to do that whole spiel of getting him inside that cave and trying to get to him and explaining, uh, you are going to lead us to the to the liberation. And I'm like, okay, 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 resistance fellas. I have one question. I will be that one guy who will be like, I have one question for you. I've been I've been here hey, for hey, a long hey. time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, hey, I have no one question. question. Why why the heck did you keep this child a secret for years? Because if you kept it for years a secret, what would you expect that would happen? When would you expect to reveal it to the world? Huh? And no, what, no, no, what no, would no, expect no, that no, would no, happen? No. That you is get my it question. All wrong. No, no, they kept it it a secret for years. The point is not that she's revealing to the world, it's that she's she's being revealed slowly to every replicant. Because every replicant has the idea that they're they're, they're the Messiah. I think that's the point. Revealed slowly to every replicant? Yes, yes. That's what the reveal is that everyone thinks they're Ryan Gosling at some point, that they all think that they're the children... That, she does uh, say that, yeah, that's true. Okay, I didn't read it that way, but I can see it that way, I guess. Because um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's the idea that fine. every guy, person there was at, at some point, some at some point thought that yes, they were the I children mean, the of thing, Deckard. The thing with Ryan is Rachel. that he does share the memories of But But everyone, everyone has that memory because she's the ah, one planting them You think there. that's the case? Because she's the one planting them there. But I don't She's know putting if... her own memory in every replica. I mean, that, that is that is a theory. That's a fan. It's not there in the movie. What? I think it's, no, it's obvious. Not. No, it's not. I mean, did you feel that, Leo? I mean, I don't I think didn't... it's. I don't. I, don't, I didn't I, feel I'm it in the movie I'm not saying that it's impossible. Either. 
like it but i do fits. think it it makes sense yeah it because, makes sense like i didn't rap like but why, it makes sense why would ryan gosling be the chosen one to have because then he is a chosen one in the sense that he did like she did put those memories there yeah. but i don't know if that's the case because like because what it, happened what they did it, it was helps. create two people with the exact same dna to create like a you know a, a diversion I, i'm not sure so there's a boy and a girl that have the exact same dna that he finds out and that's part of their plan to to you know burn the records essentially so that she's untraceable because there's two humans that uh, that are mixed up so i don't but know I if that was part of the plan putting the memories in him specifically because he's the the copy or if everyone also other replic replicants also have these memories or not i'm not sure I'm not, I'm not even sure there are two children. I think that's that's also something that they make up so that the person thinks that they're the, the missing child. Uh, I'm not sure. I think that's also <laughs> uh, created. But, but, I'm, but what, I am what sure that... tells that, you that that's created? It's that sequence where she's telling that... It's that sequence where we cut to the image of her... It's like a flashback to her looking at the memory and saying this this happened to someone right and you get a sense that it's her and that she's the child and it happened to her and since she's the memory maker i mean at least i thought okay she's putting them those that memory which is real in, in the, all these but replicas never, they never do that the same memory i mean i at least have the sense that for example like in the first movie it's because you, you know have it's rachel has a set of memories and you have deckard have a set of memories no same person has the same set of memories otherwise it would i don't know it, it, it no, would, but even it talk would, about the fact that it's an implant that that these are memories that are sort of standard no but the thing the the moment you have more than one person having the same memories of this of, of an experience that should be unique to you it defeats the purpose of them feeling real because they now I feel mean, fake they are a product implanted in everyone i don't think it's necessarily the same but at least in the details that allow them to search for more meaning and go on that journey like the date like the birthday that's that's a lot of imagining that's a lot of theoring <laughs> I mean, she, but she's clearly <laughs> like a memory maker putting putting the memories in, memory. in replicants but and like, i think what that, makes that her, is, an, what, is an important point. what makes her good supposedly is that she's very good at creating different new memories different yeah. memories for each individual i think i don't see that's it, what yeah. is strange about him having these same memories as her because it's but her I memory think it's, i think it's pretty clear that he learns that he isn't important because yeah, yeah, yeah. he goes that's, that's on this true. redeeming that's arc true. obviously yeah. at the end about just sort of doing something selfless yes, and i think yes. that really for me that helped make the point that in not being important he isn't the child of anyone yeah. he's just of course, someone yeah, but i agree with that and i don't agree with the fact that uh the all the other replicants have the same memory that's the only thing i'm refuting I, I mean, not as, maybe not necessarily the same memory, but uh, are led to go on this journey of 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 thinking that they're the child because they they're giving being given this importance to help you know the replicants become free uh, in a sense, Be especially because she, that blind lady does that speech and then everyone yeah. else appears yeah. behind her and this kind of sense gives a sense of presentation like here we are we have all come here as well and. And you are the next. You're just the next one in this line. I don't know. I, I, yeah, no, I, I see I got that. that sense. I, I mean, between I the, the film that, plan this or, or, or was this a plot hole of the film? I, I think I don't know. I'm uh... no. I mean, plot hole, for me, it's it's, yeah, for me, it's, it ends up being an interesting point of the film, not really plot hole. 
It's yeah, a plot hole in the sense I, I I still have difficulties believing that they have the same memory or this memory the same memory only altered in details. Like it's it's not there in the film. It's not there. The fact is, it's not there. It's 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 possible. It has a potential, but it's not clearly there. Um, I don't know. You're, if you're, I think you're I, focusing too much on the same mm -hmm. memory. I think what right. maybe maybe I'm wrong, but what Miguel is more suggesting is that all of these replicants that are there in the room all at some point thought that they were special for some reason. They had the same, like, they had to go through the same arc of realizing that they were not the chosen one, but that they, you know, they served some purpose in developing this, you know, this rebellion and that the chosen one will eventually come or whatever. I, again, I can see, because of the way the scene is presented, I see what Miguel is saying. The, the speech she gives, we all, she says something along those lines very directly. Sure, fair enough. Directly. Well, like I said, seems to make sense. But I didn't feel it as either. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the memory thing is specific. I don't, I'm not sure if that's what the film is suggesting or not. That they all have that memory or not. I'm not sure. Maybe not the ex literally the exact one, but enough to lead them on this yeah. sort of Yeah, because like she has... Somehow. She probably has other memories. Maybe each one of them gets one special memory from her. <laughs> and they all go on this journey with yes, some fucking She even su su suggests that one of the memories, it's this sort of birthday that she's then designing with the, with the girls blowing the candles. And it's another way to, to suggest the birthday of the person. So I don't know. I guess it's just all details that lead to the fact that she's trying to make everyone realize that... Uh, that perhaps they were born at a certain date and that that means that there's someone mm -hmm. else um, but at the same time i also see it as she's doing that just because she's very lonely and she's putting herself in the memories and she can't help it but put real memories and not fake ones and maybe it, there's no more meaning other than that that's just yeah. putting real memories and that's leading the replicants on uh, on journeys that she didn't intend for uh, which I think is also an interesting thing because at the end she's just an isolated orphan <laughs> that wants to have real memories and and that's why I also really like the ending because you know with specifically not so much the death of Ryan Gosling but the but Deckard approaching her daughter it, it's more it's you know one of the more emotional moments of the film. I think that one of the coming back to what makes this film unique or have a personality that is detached from the first one as well on the positive of having this different personality of gaining its its stance for Denis Villeneuve has this is my mark on Blade Runner world it is for example responding to expanding on these questions of what is this thing of making memories who makes the memories you know he actually shows how they are produced which is interesting and he gives us a replacement to uh to K being the possibility of the messiah that is satisfying because even when he isn't and we really want him to be Though we know in our you know our deepest selves that that shouldn't happen for dramatic purposes, it's that that present that gift is given to something that he really deserves it because the actress plays it with such sensitivity and as well as her character she was robbed of the experience of life because of that disease whether the disease is planned or not to be in that sort of incubator prison where she no works. no the disease what? is because she's a daughter of two replicants she's like she's frail she's frail I think. 
I think that's her imaginings. There's nothing no, there. She's that's, clearly, that's she's, not, no, but this this point is absolute. She's clearly the daughter. <laughs> but she's clearly the daughter of Deckard and Rachel. Yes, that's mm-hmm. that's correct. Yeah, yeah. But okay, where, so, does it, where does so, it say that uh, that she has so frailties you, because you, she's the daughter of Rachel? No, but you imagine that you can just you, imagine. Yeah, you imagine or, that or, or, this, or the she, strange she, daughter of two replicants might have. Or she got the disease at the orphanage. You don't know. Come on, no, she's she's frail because she's she's a weird kid. She's a weird replicant kid. I mean, I do think that's the most like that makes perfect sense. You know, I mean, it if makes that, sense. If there's a reason. I, I can it's that it, one but more I don't, than I don't she see... caught it at the orphanage. Yeah, in yeah, the new compromise thing. What's the? I mean, it it, it it. What I mean, I understand it makes sense, but I don't see it has the one and only. She's a genetic response, freak. You know? It's not She's a genetic freak. It doesn't Mush. need to be that alone. I mean, I don't mind if it's that. Fine if it's that. Uh, okay, I just I don't think that it's that fixed oh it is because she's a daughter that she has this frailty i mean you would imagine that a daughter of two replicants being such a miracle and genetic anomaly that she would have some sort of yeah it's plausible yeah health because in a sense it's just it's like any other genetic anomaly in normal humans i mean it's she would have frail health i think it makes sense i think but yeah i think that um yeah, it's very, it's very, it's very interesting of a replacement, and and you know, it's very poetic that she's robbed of her life to then be being producing memories, some of them real, some of them fake, and even when fake, she puts something of of her inside them for other people. Is this very selfless thing, you know? And she's isolated in this other world, never gets to go outside, and she makes these presents for people who are not people, are replicants, you know, they are yearning for some kind of life that has energy and feelings and memory and are allowed to live with rights but can't you know because they live in this kind of overexploitative capitalist society that oppresses them i think that's very interesting other moment that is interesting that was in potential in the first film is the idea of slavery you know you have the we actually see slavery in the film of children child slavery in this orphanage that actually makes them work on stuff and uh, Leslie James, I think, is the British actor who who plays kind of the, the director. He's very interesting of a character, much like in the first film, although the first film has a difference in acting. You find a lot of beautiful performances in this film from the actor who plays, the actress who plays Love, from to, to Jared Leto, who is the more campy one out of them all, and uh, to Kate, uh, and to this one, who is presenting, you know, Kate is all this really in a very fatherly kind of figure who is promising that yes i do have a kind of relationship with them and they're all my children they're all very lovely etc they work discipline is good but then the second he shows his badge he's like oh oh, oh man, man i don't want to have on. nothing to do with you he looks to the side it's so you feel like the actor went out there out of his way to kind of figure out how do these like street hustlers wise guys behave <laughs> you know you kind of you see him in his little office trying to figure this out oh yeah the, the cocaine man no no man kind of looking to the side and he's looking to the side he doesn't look at k and he's giving answers i think that detail is very interesting kind of his nervousness and then it's interesting that from the point of view of slavery being shown you don't quite know if these children are like actual humans are just replicants are they all replicants a mixture of both that doesn't matter because slavery is bad anyway i think for them to leave that end of the question elusive and not to respond who these children are uh, makes it very poignant like i said keeps on going into that effect that the film reveals itself in every other scene with new ideas that give it personality like the joy in the rain or the joy with the love scene and this one very interesting i think that may be sometimes a problem <laughs> yes too many ideas and it gets away in the plot. Disagree. 
Absolutely. No, I, yeah, I don't. I don't agree I think with it. it balances too. very well. <laughs> Miguel's just throwing. Well, yeah, let's yeah, see yeah, if yeah. it sticks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean. Okay, I, this one doesn't work. I'll, I'll, I'll catch it. No, it's not the ideas. No, no, but honestly, I don't think it's the ideas. I think it's just somehow the plot. Sometimes. I do it's think too, it's more plot. It needs too plot. much to go in certain yeah. directions. Like, like Deckard suddenly needs to take. Uh, not Deckard. Wallace suddenly needs to take Deckard to off world. So that it can be ambushed, and then suddenly, okay, let's not go back. Let's let's not go there. Let's go back, and then the thing sinks into the water. Then there there are moments where it just it doesn't feel like real decisions. Like it just feels like we need to go this place so that this thing these actions can take place. And this is where I feel like the film could be a little better. So maybe the other way around. It's the, yeah, more it's the plot that gets in the way of the ideas. <laughs> yeah, yeah really I, that I, you know, that that question of sometimes the plot gets in the way of the ideas. I understand that. I think it's far more of a plotty film than the first one is. It's far more simple in its premise. This one is trying to expand things into the way of an epic with a final purpose meaning. Like if there's a grandeur, you can even imagine the follow-up film that if there isn't a, a third installment. It's going to be the ultimate revolution. It's going to be even more epic. You know, they're going to go on and on into this thing that becomes bigger than uh, where, where it actually started. But I, for example, Kay being left behind and suddenly the resistance being there in Las Vegas, very conveniently so, or those decision-making things at the end, getting him off road. I understand those aspects sometimes gets in the way. Um, for example, one of the things that I think weakens the film for me, it doesn't make or doesn't break it, but it weakens, is the fact that the first film was very strong in its atmosphere, you know, like the, the amount of lights, the way it opens, the way it's shot, the whole city, this metropolis, who takes really influence from the film Metropolis, and blending kind of a style of architecture from the 30s, Art Deco, and so on. It's rich in texture, in the smoke and the night and the amount of light. So you see this capitalist world that is so overwhelming in this cross culture of the Asian and the Arabic and, and the Western, and it's overpopulated, overlit. Like normally the, the noirs of old are very connected to the ideas of light and shadow. Here it's colors and it's so lit that it's overwhelming. You know, the, the lighting contributes to this oppression, these giant buildings. And um and you have these sweeping shots that <clears throat> go through the city, these pans, you, and you see from different angles. You see the buildings from the ground with a low angle. You see from above, and there's so many details to, to the architecture uh, that, that you can't pin your finger on it. You know, um, you know the apartment of Deckard is 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 uh, clearly taking influence from Frank Lloyd Wright's apartment that is in an LA that he built from some built for, for, for some rich mo I don't I don't no longer know but it has a very interesting pattern in this one in this film though 30 years have passed this is one of the things I have against the film is that uh, it is it's just a grayish mesh <laughs> it's just like you know I understand that you know there has been a blackout phenomena in the 2020s and that is darkened so we don't have the same lit overwhelmed quality to the first one and I respect that he's trying to search how can my film be different and yet harken back to the first one so the, the aspect of being darker that's okay and yet that doesn't mean that the buildings need to be different uh, a city may have three, 30 years 40 years you still recognize the same architecture you go around my town, you know, you still see buildings from the 70s or even early back. 
and that's part of the beauty of it. Uh, I don't see the same buildings here. In fact, it's too neat. It's too clean. It's not dirty. Part of the beauty why the first film is so beautiful is that the atmosphere is so tangible. Like Ridley Scott said, you know, I had a studio lot. It was a heck of a headache because I couldn't shoot it in the day. It needed to be night. So I had three tools to myself, smoke, night, and uh, rain. So nobody could understand I was a studio, you know, like, uh, and, and they all wear masks. The crew wear masks to not get the, the fog because they were always filling it up with smoke. And they filmed in a real freezer, like that freezer thing with the Asian dude that makes the ice. It's like real freezing cold and, you know, the machinery inside was going to kill them because it was produced more carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide than oxygen. <laughs> so it's very interesting to know those tidbits. But yeah, it's full of detail and richness and texture. And it's dirty and you don't want to be there. You're both fascinated and kind of re repelled by it. It's overpopulated. You are on the ground level in the streets, these bars, these Arab chantings that you hear in the background. This other film, Blade Runner 2049, does not have that. It has a lot of echoing and similarities, kind of fan service with the Enjoy Coca-Cola and the Pan Am ads in, on the buildings, the holograms. Um, but you can't barely see the city. And when you have these traveling shots that feel like these ghost shots traveling inside the city has, as if these glider uh, cars going through the city, they feel like transitions. They don't feel like events. When you saw the opening of the original Blade Runner, it was a, an event. It was a thing, those shots, those buildings, from all sorts of angles. In this one, it feels like, uh, it just feels like, get, get, get done with it. I, 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 I don't, I, you know, it's the same I don't completely city. agree, I think. I think we're just too used to films by now of this, of this scale to not be as easily impressed as maybe. No, but thing, I do it, think it that it is harken back to the same. This feels like a different film. It, but it, it is a different film. I mean, you, you, no, the thing is, it's good to be a different film. Uh, all the positive aspects that I've mentioned before contribute to, to, to it being a film with its own personality. But if it wants to be a film with, within the continuity of Blade Runner, I think it fails a bit at it. You know, but I'm I mean, so concerned it, with plot that it doesn't it, build it doesn't the need to be set town. in the exact same cities with the exact same dirtiness and, and filth. And I mean, we can be in other places within this what universe. No, 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 no. And within this Los place. Angeles, this is Los Angeles of 2019, in 2049. Okay, but it, it could, but I'm not 20 saying years have passed, have... so things might be a no, little no. different. No, no, that's not the thing. Okay, there's a balance. There are there can be modern buildings, there can be different things, and I really embrace that. You know, he Villeneuve really likes like brutalism and minimalist kind of architecture, more post-war, while this one is more pre-war, <laughs> World War II influenced the, the in the original film. But for me, it, it needed to have a blend of the new buildings with the old architecture. I grew on the ground level with Kay on the on that marketplace area eating. I'm not as impressed. You know, it, it doesn't feel like the same film. I'm sorry. To me, it needed to be. I, I mean, need, I don't I think the difference is that jarring that you would say it's a different atmosphere altogether. I mean, you may be uh, less uh, less impressed, sure, okay, or maybe don't enjoy the aesthetics as much, but I wouldn't go so far as saying it, it doesn't feel like the same place and the same mood uh, to and To me, universe. it could be any other dystopian film. Like, uh, it could be any other. It, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, no, it doesn't no. necessarily need to be Blade Runner. It's, it only is Blade Runner because sometimes I see the enjoy Coca Cola and the Pan Am things. Uh, no, I mean, come on, you see a lot of the same sort of buildings, and 
You go really. to this, even just the camera work uh, resembles I so. I, the, I, I, this, I just, the establishing shot that you saw in the beginning. <laughs> I, don't, I really don't feel it. I really, I really don't feel it. You know, it, it, it feels, it's like, it's like, a, I don't know, what, how should I put this? To me, it feels like a, an imitation. It's not, I don't know. But I mean, you can't expect a different director to, how, how could Villeneuve not have his own style in 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 some extent and no, end up doing a different film while respecting... yeah, but, you, you're, but you're saying he can't because you, you had to make the exact same thing and it couldn't no, a blend that. you see it's a blend it's uh, the, the architecture is just not there at all from the first movie and there are things that don't change from the first movie to and there are things that don't change in 30 years for a time and I really need to see that connective tissue. And then there are things that do change. And I really respect that. And I like that. Because if it was the same, it wouldn't be interesting. I totally agree. It's just that to me, the, you know, it's it just not fully there. Um, and it's a big part why the first film is interesting to me. I was going to talk think? about something I very much dislike about the film. Okay. Not in its complete entireness. Because there are good moments, but Hans Zimmer, my man, I don't think this is a good score. Your best work, okay. Not even close. <laughs> it's just, it's like, it's like a joke of a blockbuster, like score. It's like, a, it's like a parody. It's so over the top. There's moments where I'm enjoying the mood of the image, the way it's lit, like the colors and. The, the fogginess and then just these like futuristic sounds supposedly like I don't think it works most of the I time like Vangel is more yeah original. it's way better it's much more consistent subtler it, it contributes but to Vangel, the Vangelis score uh Vangelis's score is <laughs> kind of different also because it's yeah, much it more it's much lighter and yeah yeah, yeah i agree it goes in the, in the camper direction of being sort of light and and, and fun almost and, and here and zimmer clearly goes like no this is a dark place yeah <laughs> and and this yeah, is I... not camp this is some serious ass bullshit yeah. happening <laughs> i really bullshit. don't that's yeah that's what i don't i really don't like that approach i i don't know why maybe it's like I miss that from the the original Blade Runner as well. I like the I'm gonna score. Be honest, I don't. I didn't just like the Zimmer score. I do think that sometimes, uh, in the middle of the of the music, it goes kind of in weird directions, which is becomes really jarring, and you kind of get too, you become too focused on the music. You kind mm -hmm. of become aware that it's there too much, and yeah, those moments I I dislike. But generally, I I don't. Uh, I wouldn't say it's bad. Yeah, That's I would. <laughs> God damn it, Mike is difficult today. Mm, he doesn't want us to yield. No, I don't know. It's retired. It's bad not in the like. I'm sure it took a lot of work to make these sounds. Like uh, the sounds by themselves and the music Tell like, him is that. impressive. Like that is <laughs> I'm impressive. I'm sure it took you a lot of work. Yeah, Hans, sure it look, I don't think it contributes. I think because a lot of times it works against the scene for me it's what you're saying like now i'm thinking of the music not only am i thinking of it i'm thinking i don't like it so that's not good whereas like i think with the original blade runner i also thought of the music sometimes 
because there's like those very 80s that i type of 80s sonority that type of sound yeah, but yeah. i like i think it contributes to the to the film because it's a future but you recognize the the current context that the film was made in i think it, it works whereas this one it's just it's bland i think it's not even that it's super terrible it's just it's another blockbuster type of soundtrack that we've seen so many times especially that's from the, zimmer the description you're giving to the music that's what i felt with the architecture the costume, the costume design and production design like good enough i get it it has yeah. it echoes the similarity to the previous Blade Runner, but it, it, you know there's such a richness of texture in the first one he goes into a phone booth to have a video call, which is amazing for the time, with Rachel mm -hmm. in a bar. And the thing is filled with letters on the screen, Chinese. <laughs> you can feel the dirt in it. It's amazing. I mean, I, I, I mean, every shot I'm looking at, I'm like, the level of detail they got into making this stuff, these little things, the phone. I mean, it's amazing. It's riveting. I mean, in this one, I just feel it bland. I'm not, to, not to say that it isn't professional and pretty. It is beautiful cinematography and all that. But when you are... It's inevitable to compare yourself to the to the first film, and Villeneuve is very aware of the, of the legacy of the first. So that's why he wants to imprint his personality and somehow harken to the first with a lot of echoes. But I think in what was important of atmosphere, production design, costume design, he missed it. Also, in the in the question of campness, what I really like about the first film is that there's a lot of camp uh, in the performances, starting with Roy Batty, which Woodcar Howard plays beautifully. And I think Mike made a beautiful example of the, the final scene after he, well, the scene after he kills uh, um, Tyrell. But also you have GF Sebastian and Pris, the, the replicant, even Harrison Ford at times. <laughs> hey, time to die. <laughs> and he kills. It just, there's a campness to the film that just makes it offbeat at times. And it's, 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 it's all to do with this weird world that, you know, today you wouldn't have this camp. Uh, performances. GF Sebastian says things in a weird way. The whole encounter with Priest at first, like people don't interact like this. This is kind of strange. It's the kind of like those kind of offbeat laughs that would happen in old, earlier films. Like she has, she, they're having this awkward kind of laughs together. GF and her, that I think it's kind of a weird interaction. And then Tyrell himself is a very weird kind of character. More human than human. That's our motto. I <laughs> know. <laughs> uh, it's the movie is filmed with kind of these weird performances. Um, yeah, this is very interesting. Uh, if uh, Roy Batty is just a wonderful character, from yeah. you're not going to yeah. top that. That's one of the not best performances. You know, he has a, 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 a antagonist with a beautiful, complex problem. And in himself, the way he plays him, you can't predict what he's going to do next. That scene in the, with the eye doctor who makes the eyes, I think maybe we all will agree that it is a very interesting scene. Because the way he laughs, like, if you only had seen what I've seen with your eyes. <laughs> you <know? laughs> it's amazing. But smiles, great. It's like, it's really you good. can't predict it. Yeah. Time enough. <laughs> and he does... <laughs> laugh. I don't know. <laughs> very strange. In the way that doesn't exist, you know, in 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 the sequel, the sequel is very plot heavy and needs to find this kind of overall meaning and make a whole mythical journey for for the for the hero. Which in this one, it's, it's just a lot more simpler. In this one, I mean the the 2019 Blade Runner. You know, it's just it's much more laid back. 
no 2019 in the sense of the the narrative uh, that period. is so confusing why would you yeah, refer sorry. to it as that i was saying because it's blade run 2049 <laughs> and i'm saying blade run 2019 yeah. <laughs> and Leo was like very convincing yep yeah i'm yeah. sorry what <laughs> no no the 1982 Blade Runner that portrays the 2019 reality. Right. <laughs> that was just like simple, the Ridley Scott clear. one. Ridley Scott Blade Runner. <laughs> I think the simple. end fight seems amazing. There's a lot of room to breathe for just the poetics of it. You know, the Dove thing seems so indulgent but so beautiful at the same time. It just feels like the blood was there. A, a, a Dove was there on set and like, can I pick it up? Yeah, sure. <laughs> can I put this in the scene? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. So yeah, Blade Runner. Uh, did you know the, the original before seeing the sequel? I uh, if I knew I knew it. I think I watched it as well before. Before I watched, but I don't never, remember. Never at the cinema. What Blade Runner? The oh, original? Yeah. No, obviously. No. The of the yeah the sequel not either. <laughs> I watched yeah. it like maybe a, a bit a after. Tech. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's true. Probably, oh, yeah, yes. that, that could have happened. You did? No, no, no. Uh, Miguel? No, you didn't. Oh, that would be cool, actually. I would have liked to see it at the Cinematheque. If it ever Cinematheque. goes there, I'll watch it there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cinemat Cinematheque always has a lot of great films. I have a... surprises. Yeah. I mean, I still follow um... them on, on Instagram to the press myself. Because I see, like, boom, pops up. Incredible film that we're showing. I'm like, oh, okay, great. I would like to see it. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I I don't I actually don't follow them on Instagram. How are they like? Because you know sometimes I wish... they just put like what films they're showing every day. Oh, okay, like like posts, right. like when Friedkin died, not too long after they were doing like yeah. a, a little retrospective. Um, and yeah, there's always great stuff. But you know what, what I think they're missing, and we can discuss this in the nominees uh, podcast episode for the festival we were just in, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Nominated for best film podcast ever, 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 ever <laughs> in Portugal. <laughs> Brackets. <laughs> but uh, we discussed the fact that it would be interesting if Cinematech had a little, some kind of personality that, like Mark Kermode or Martin Scorsese, that kind of divulged these early ah, films. Yeah. I think it would be interesting to have in their Instagram this kind of rules with, where one person would be the representative. And he would become this kind of yeah. personality <laughs> repeated one that would introduce us to new films and whatnot. Of Portuguese cinema, I think there's I think that lack of accessibility. Of there was of a, a bit of a, a vacuum in that regard. I mean, Instagram specifically, no, but I mean, since uh, João Bernard da Costa died, which I think was what, early 2010s, I don't remember. Yeah, but yeah, it used to be that figure of the, you know, the the personality, yeah. like a lot of people thought of him as the Cinemateca guy. And I don't think there's the the equivalent anymore, anyone like that. Which would be cool if they if they could find someone like that has that, Maybe that type one of is us. pool. <laughs> yeah, Maybe that sucks. one is us. I think it would be interesting to <laughs> no, like a segment of. I don't want to have that responsibility. <laughs> That's a lot of res responsibility, <laughs> it, and it needs to be an older person. I also do think. It, yes, it doesn't need, but it it helps because uh, of the knowledge of over the years. Put yourself in so. a suit, some some gray hair, <laughs> some gray hair, <laughs> and she'll be off to go. Easy. Might yeah, but no, but it would be cool week. if they did stuff with us. I would love to do that, of course. Oh, yeah. If you want to invite me over and do a selection of films that I want to see? Maybe there's something there. Hmm. <laughs> Tomas is twirling his mustache. <laughs> Twice. Twice. <clears throat> <laughs> uh -huh. Any last thoughts on uh, Blade Runner? 
I don't think so. Okay. But I'm excited for Dune 2. Yeah, I'm excited for Dune 2. Yes. Even yeah. though... Uh, <laughs> I like Dune. I, like I could have liked it. Dune better. I think I excuse uh, a lot Miguel of it has because an agenda I know against, a... against Timothy Chalamet. I don't think he likes him oh, no. very much as an actor. No, no, he's not very good. I don't think so. <laughs> not very versatile, I think. Yeah. And I don't know if he's the, the right if he was the right choice for that role, but but I like him in most things I've seen him in. But he does do, I do think. Uh, I get he does what do that Miguel type is of also character, saying. like the, the Greta Greta Gerwig he's the brooding, characters. He's better in that than. He's a brooding yeah. teenager. Or yeah, something. yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's always like, but he's no longer a teenager. That's that reality. <laughs> I have to rewatch it to be honest. Uh, my my first impressions at the time were good, but. I thought it could have. I thought it was. I was going to be more impressed. Uh, mm-hmm. But yes, I do think I'll I'll rewatch it before the the second one. Yeah, me too, for sure. I think my problems and are then more evaluated better. Yeah, I think my problems are more in line with the fact that it feels incomplete. But I mean, I ju- I it's excuse that because it is a part one, so I don't yeah. doesn't bother me that much. And I I'm more or less aware of Dune and what happens in the story. So I'm like, I want to see it happen. I want to see where, how he develops it. Cause it's very And we have Austin Butler going crazy. Nah, going that's crazy at cool. it in the sequel. We have Lee Seydoux. That's always good. Yeah. Uh, who else is in it? Well, of course, Skarsgård has a uh, Baron Arconan is amazing. I really like every time he's on. But Arrakis is Arrakis. <laughs> My Dune. <laughs> <laughs> and he elevates himself. What, what does he say? Uh, but sir, you promised the witch. You know, you gave your word to the witch. And he says that thing, which is a, uh, like, uh, but Arrakis is Arrakis, and the desert takes the meek. My Arrakis, my dune. Prong, kong, 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 kong. And I'm like, oh my god, amazing. And I want to see him. Yeah. So he's always asked me up every time he's in, on screen. Like, if the studios weren't greedy and hadn't, yeah. like, stalled. The, the fucking deals with the writers and the actors we could have now been discussing true doom too <laughs> yeah. now we gotta wait until march that's it we have to oh, settle uh, for napoleon. napoleon napoleon i will be there you know i don't, I don't think that ridley scott of today ha- does as much interesting things as he used to in my that's, mind i haven't watched much of what he has done I think it has had a similar me. path to to Spielberg. I think very sci-fi-ish in the beginning. Fair enough. And now gone sort of political drama realm. and more sort of grounded stuff. The other day there was a film on TV on Fox Movies called The Duelists. Oh yeah, it's I was like, first film. yeah, I was like, oh wow, this is really good. But I didn't watch the whole tell? thing. And then I, yeah, yeah, and then I saw it soon. It's Ridley Scott. Okay. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's about this real life story of these guys from the seventeenth yeah, century. Yeah, they were dueling all the time. Dueling each other. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like a funny setup as well. It really, yeah. It's very interesting. It has a lot and of great editing that, um, montage. That Coppola saw from him. The duelist. Ah, yeah. I saw it. It made a post. Yeah. And then, and then he used Ridley Scott used sets from one from the heart on Blade Runner. On Blade Runner, yeah. Yeah, that that's I didn't know. That's really cool. 
That's all for today, folks. If you'd like to reach out and suggest a film for the next episode, you can find us on the podcast's official Instagram and Facebook pages. Feel free to subscribe, share this episode, or simply give us a like. That's how our podcast can grow ever more groovy. And if you're on YouTube and want to see more videos like this, check out this next video right here. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Enjoy. I have seen things you wouldn't dreams. believe. <laughs> I've seen things you wouldn't believe. On the shore of Orion.